Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the uncommon salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. Just pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, be with us this evening as we look into your word. This wonderful epistle, one chapter epistle of Jude. May we learn together. May we be warned that there are those who want to teach uh, erroneous things. Help us, Lord, to be challenged and warned and be with Miss Cindy over next door. And thank you for having children to even go to a, a junior church type thing. I pray that you just bless our time together. This, bless those who are listening online. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is, this is really, a, we're contending. So to contend is somewhat like a wrestling match, if you would. There was a young, smaller brother who asked his kindergarten teacher to, for help putting on his boots one snowy day, and she could see why. So with her pulling and him pushing, the boots still didn't want to go on. When the second boot finally was on, she worked up a, worked up a sweat by then. She almost whimpered when the little boy said, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She looked, and sure enough, they were. It wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting the boots on. She managed to keep her uh, cool as together they worked to get the boots back on the right feet. He then announced, these aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than get right in his face and scream, why didn't you say so? Like she wanted to do. Once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-footing boots off. He then said, they're my older brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. She didn't know if she should laugh or cry. She mustered up the grace to wrestle the boots on the feet once again. She said, now, where are your mittens? I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. There is a wrestling match going on in the world today in the church. You may not be aware of it, but there is. And so the little brother, now why would I even call Jude a little brother? Because he is, we call him the half-brother of Jesus, and so he will be the younger brother of our Savior. So it's, it's a four-week tour. I was thinking of Gilligan's Island, who ran for just three seasons in the 1960s, which I really enjoyed Gilligan's Island for the most part. A three-hour tour turned into three years. Now, I don't know if this four-week tour will turn in a couple of extra messages. We just don't know. More than likely, I will have to say probably yes. But this is one of the most obscure and uh, shortest epistles, obviously most of one of the most obscure disciples, Jude. Uh, it is uh, sometimes even called a postcard rather than a letter. It's so small. Uh, some very significant things come in small packages, however, as you well know. Now, you're all familiar with the book, The Acts of the Apostles. We would almost call that the Acts of the Holy Spirit done through the Apostles, but we might call the Acts of the Apostles. This might be called, Jude, the Acts of the Apostates. The Acts of the Apostates. Now, so 
an apostate is someone who is knowledgeable about Christianity but has abandoned the faith. It's become quite popular. We have ex-evangelicals today. We have people who deconstructed their faith. It was uh, Josh Harris who in yesteryear was a very famous author, and he has now left the minute he's left Christianity, I think, altogether. And so we have pastors who just, I'm going to walk away from this. Uh, I never had faith in the first place. You'll see some Christian musicians, and they'll I never was a, and so this, the apostate is someone theologically who espoused a doctrine, but then they walked away from it. I would say it's not that they lost their salvation. They never had it in the first place because God gives you your salvation and he says we are safe in him. John chapter 10. We understand that, but it, this is a wrestling match between what is the truth and what is not. So Jude reveals to us the patterns of apostasy. They were even evident in the earliest days. Doesn't Satan get right on the ball trying to discourage someone gets saved? Someone makes a decision, and he's right after them. This, oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, there. And the naysayers come along. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't give your life to full-time service. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, oh well, what are they going to say? What Christ says and thinks is what we should be concerned about, not what the world or even possibly your friends say, what pleases our Savior. He really predicts that right up until the coming of Christ for his church and then the coming of Christ at the revelation of Christ, the second coming, there's going to be false teachers. Matter of fact, isn't what is the name of the henchman of the Antichrist? The false prophet. The false prophet. So there's going to be a religious facade, if you would. There's a religious facade today, as you well know. Religion is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. That's the truth. The Christian faith is under assault, perhaps like never before. The institution of marriage is under assault. The sanctity of human life is under assault. What makes a man or a woman is under assault. This is all under assault in the public uh, domain. We are to fix our eyes upon the Savior and what he has to say. So the background of Jude then, we find then there's a very strong tradition that Jude is the author. He is, we would call him the half-brother of Jesus. I say He's a family member, but he's really, that's a, that's a stretch to call him Mary and Joseph are his parents. You've heard of the perpet, Mary's perpetual virginity. That is a Roman Catholic dogma not taught in Scripture. She had children. Perpetual virginity is she never knew a man until she was ascended into heaven. That would be the Catholic teaching. I tell you, she and Joseph evidently had at least six children. You look for Matthew 13, 55, Mark 6, 3, three boys, four boys are mentioned, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and says their sisters, so at least I think two. So they had a full house, as you will, from what Scripture says. So she, they had a normal relationship after the birth of Christ. The Bible teaches that clearly. But the death and resurrection of Christ had this profound impact upon Jude. Before that, his family really didn't follow Christ as a follower. They didn't really believe in him. And as a matter of fact, in the Gospels, they tried to get him to back off the ministry. If you remember, it wasn't those exact terms, but, you know, uh, you know Jesus, you know, I want to step back from what you're saying. But when he was raised, matter of fact, they were in the upper room in Acts chapter 114. His family got on board quickly. He was the Messiah. Isn't it amazing how when God truly comes into a person's life, there's that change. We are we're a new creature. There's only three. There are only three direct creations of God. We know that now. There are the sons of God, the angels. There's the children of God, you and I, 
And there's Adam, who is called a son of God. So there are three direct creations of God, the angels, Christians, and Adam. We learned that this morning from our message. I trust you remember those things. So James becomes the best known. Do you remember who James, what he did? And he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Yes, he was. Authoring the book of James. Yes, so he was the most well-known. Jude, what is Jude's full name? Judas. Now, why do you think that Jude chose not to use that little bit of a long... It's like Timothy... I only use Timothy because it reminds me of Timothy Scott Wright. You get in here right now and get your hands washed because I remember the negative connotation. Stephanie was Stephanie Leone Wampler. You better get in here. Mine was, and whatever, you, you had the same thing. So don't, you can laugh all, but you're laughing with yourself because you probably had the same thing happen to you. Yes? What is your middle name, Jeremy? Jeremy Wayne Boyles. You had better start towing the mark, young man. Did you ever hear something like that? Oh, yes. <laughs> I heard it every once in a while. Of course, my brother heard it probably every hour. Gregory Cliff Light, Gregory Cliff, Gregory Cliff Light, Gregory Cliff. No, he didn't. It wasn't quite that bad. So, to answer that question, Judas, I think I'm going to sort of put that aside because there's a, there was a, I won't even say a gentleman. There was a heinous character called Judas Iscariot who betrayed our Savior, and so we're just going to drop, drop the Judas, and we're just going to you maybe possibly use the nickname Jude, or I use the name Tim, unless it's something I have to sign, Timothy Scott, but basically I'm going to use Tim, not, not the Timothy. Timothy's a good name, a Bible name. So it's interesting, one man said this, uh, Matthew Coder said that people will name their sons Peter and Paul, and their dogs Nero and Caesar, but no one will even name a dog Judas anymore. And so that's a name that is actually going to live in infamy. When's the last time you heard someone name someone Hitler? But we're just going to stay away. I think I've ever even heard anyone else. There's only one Hitler I even know in history. Is there, are there maybe more? I don't know. But I would not want to be. Would you want to be that name? I don't think that. Or Ping, Xi Jinping. Oh, I don't want to be that name. Or King Jong-un. Do you want to be King Jong-un or Tim Young-un? I don't want to be that either. Do you even know who Kim Jong? You know who that is, right? The leader of Korea. Yes. Okay. All right. So, but I'm telling. Look at verse one. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if I'm writing this book, and Jesus is my in my family, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna name drop Tim, the f- family of the Messiah. The king of the Jews, the soon coming Lord, the risen Lord and Savior, the one whom we worship, Tim, his, 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 in his family. I, you know, I would probably, you know, in my er- in ignorance, would probably do something. He doesn't do that. Jude, the servant, the servant of his half brother. That Jude has come across humility and sort of camped on that, I'm thinking right here. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of. I'm the brother of the Messiah. No, he's the brother of, of James, who also was the leader at the Church of Jerusalem. I tell him, pride is a garment that makes no one look better. Humility should be, should be, our, should be our trade. 
I was typing in the message title for next Sunday. It's called Warning, next Sunday night warning, traitors in the church. And I put T-R-A-D-E-R-S before I called it traitors in the church instead of traitors in the church. That's what we have. This whole book is about really the traitors. He, he wanted to talk about salvation. Can you imagine if Jude had written a book about salvation longer than one singular chapter? I imagine who is saved, who can be saved, how are we saved, who's the Savior, all those different things. They did the book approximately a generation after the resurrection of Christ. I was reading Henry Morris this afternoon, and he puts it after AD 70. I, I typically would say nothing was written between AD 70 and AD 85, but I was not there, so I cannot say with apodictic certainty. Now, what happened in AD 70, you know, right? AD 70, Jerusalem is destroyed by Titus, the Roman general. I know I'm asking you a lot of questions, but I found that that's how we learn. And, that's, and I've listened to a guy who asks his entire message is almost questions, and often he never answers them until two or three, four, five messages later. I want them answer now. So that's why I ask a question and give you a chance to think about it, and then we will work on the answer right immediately. So Jude, he's the servant of Jesus Christ. By the way, wouldn't you like to be called that? We should be that, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. What a wonderful opening salvo for the Christian. So let's consider, first of all, if you happen to be jotting down notes and not asleep yet, who we are. Or who are we, etc. But I say it that way, who are we? Now, if I were to ask you, what is significant about you? If I were to ask your spouse, now, I'll pick on Chris and Lena. If I were to ask Lena, what is significant about Chris? Or Chris, what's significant about Lena? Or what's significant about Mr. Womack? And he may ask that about me. So what would we say? Would we say that you are a cat whisperer? Would we say that you are an excellent mechanic and repair person? Would you say that you can snore with the best of them? I, I could have that accolade. I can snore, wake myself up snoring today several times. Would we say about you that I'm a terrible cook? I can't even burn water. Would we say about you I can't ha nail a, a, a hammer a nail straight for the life of me? Would you say about... Pastor Tim, that his voice doesn't need to be cultivated, just simply plowed under. What do we say about you? I am a sinner saved by grace. Yes, we are those things. But can we uh, ramp it up just a tick? I think we can. How about I am Tim and I am a child of God? Oh, now, I, I like the sound of that. I'm a child of God. See, this is the point is this. No one can consistently behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way he perceives himself. Someone has said. No one can consistently behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way he perceives himself. So if your basic self-identity is sinner, even a saved sinner, guess what? You're doing. I'm sinning in some regard. After all, sinners sin. You're halfway defeated already. I'm just a sinner, so I might as well go out there and go ahead and start sinning some more. But if your identity is a child of God, a saint, a holy one, what does that do? That's responsibility. God has made me these things. I don't deserve to be these things, neither do you. But God has made us. We're sons of God. We are a direct creation by God himself. The sons of God, the angels of God, and Adam, we're... We're just, it's just amazing what God has done for us. Let me ask you, in your biblical knowledge, 
What book of the New Testament is addressed to the sinners at Corinth, the losers at Philippi, or the apathetic ones at Ephesus? Not one. It's consistently addressed to the saints. The saints. Not the ain'ts, but the saints. You're one or the other, by the way. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. So see how that encourages us? You are, you are a saint in God. It's not like you've passed some 50, it's not like you're dead 50 years and you've done some miraculous thing and you've, one miracle has been authenticated by you. That's not a saint. A saint is a true believer in Christ. And so he addresses his letters to saints. So who are we? Who are we? Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. Right there, if you want eternal security, I see that right there. Preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Isn't it interesting? He, he doesn't mention their names, their social status, their jobs, or lack thereof. He doesn't even call them sinners, but saved by grace. So that's certainly what we and they were. Rather, he uses three wonderful terms. We are called, preserved, sanctified. So what is called? The word call has several meanings in, in Scripture. It sometimes refers to a, a general invitation that God extends to every person to receive the forgiveness of sins. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest to your souls, unto your souls. In the last day, John 7, 37, that, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I think that was a universal call. I think you have a universal call for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, will every single individual respond positively to the call? No. No, they will not. We invite people to come to church. Does every single person come to church you've invited? No. Many, probably most of them have not. But every once in a while... Someone will say yes. We invite people to receive the gospel, Christ as their Savior, as Mr. Womack talked about in Sunday school. Does every single person receive Christ? No. But every once in a while, through the Holy Spirit's leading and the Holy Spirit's wooing, they're drawn to Christ and they receive Christ. So the general invitation is rejected. And I would have to say in America, the general invitation to receive Christ as their Savior has been rejected by most Americans today. Would you not say that? truly born again, I would not want to even guesstimate the, the actual percentage of those who are truly Christians, even in America today. Some say no thanks, and then some receive Christ as personal Savior, and some would say that's called a second call, a specific invitation that results in their salvations. Theologians sometimes refer to that universal call and the effectual call. Jesus distinguished those two calls in Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. I am not in any way promoting any kind of uh, Calvinistic theology. I'm just saying there are some who respond, and there are some who don't. And the ones who respond, praise the Lord. He called me, and now I know I'm elect of God. Now, I believe in the word election. I believe I'm elect of God. So just read it for yourself. I don't believe it in the, in the term some way some people use it, but we have been chosen by God. 
But I believe everybody has the opportunity. I don't believe there's anyone who's born with it cannot yet. You are, you are born. You realize there, the belief system is when you go to the extreme is, is theological predeterminism. And this person is born with no chance whatsoever of ever receiving Christ as personal Savior no matter what they do. They just, they just can't do it. I, I reject that. I still believe the gospel is clear. If you can hear the, if you hear the gospel and the spirit, and you can, you can uh, resist the spirit. Oh, Jerusalem, how, how often he says, I would have gathered you as the chicken gathers her hens, etc. But, but you, ye would not, would not. And we preach that and we give an invitation. And I, I believe Sunday mornings there are people who come to our church that I'm, of course, I don't know. But you're thinking of people that we have on typically Sunday morning. There are some who truly are not yet saved. And that perhaps they know. And they say, well, you know, I'm not ready. I don't want to do that. That's, that's a choice. We need to pray that they will come to know Christ. For so we have been called. We've been called. There is a general call. And if you receive Christ as Savior, you have received him. Whom to know right is life eternal. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified... Sanctified by God the Father, hagiadzo, uh, that means to set apart for God the Father. We are his peculiar people, his special treasure, his children. The word comes from the Greek, means holy, describes people who are uniquely set apart for God's own purposes. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what he has called us to. So we are called, we're sanctified, and we're preserved. I, can, I cannot help but think of strawberry preserves. We are keeping those for tasting down the road, put them in a jar, seal them up, and somewhere down the road we're going to open them, put them on the peanut butter sandwich, and mm, mm, those who like strawberry preserves, uh, Smuckers makes their living by that, I guess you might say. To, means here to keep, to, to watch or stand guard over. Jesus takes his responsibility to keep and protect us very seriously. Matter of fact, John 10, if you want to turn over to John 10, those wonderful verses, not dialing too many verses tonight after this morning, but John chapter 10, 28. Why do I ask you to turn to the scriptures and not have it on the overhead where I have to sit? I really think we need to be into our words so that we know where we can find all these things and you can find them for yourself. It's great to know the Romans road by heart, but I think the most important thing is you need to show the people. Look what it says. Can you read it for yourself? Can you open your Bible to Romans 3.23? That's what God has promised to bless his word, not your own eloquence. Like what, Pastor, like what Brother Bud said this morning. And when you visit somebody, listen. They don't necessarily want to know all that you know about the Bible. We need to know where they are so we can help them. This is, they may need to start at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But we need to try. We just, we can't, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like three frogs are sitting on the log and one jumped in the water. How many, you know, how many really decided? If, if the one decided to do something, the two other ones still sitting there. I should jump in the water, but I don't think I want to. We've got to do, not just say, Pastor, yes, that includes me as well. Obviously, maybe first of all, me. John 10, 28, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 28. And I give them to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man plucked them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He came not to offer you a 50-year life. 
He came not to offer you a 75-year life. He didn't offer you a 10,000-year life. He came to offer you eternal life. If we can lose, do you see how that, in my thinking, now I know I'm, I'm, I'm limited in my thinking because I've been warped by what I'm, I will say, but, but what I, my theological persuasion, my thinking is if I can lose that, it really takes a lot of the shine off my salvation. And it makes it dependent upon me. If I can lose that because of my inactivity or wrongdoings or whatever, that, that Jesus, you see, it just flies in the face what Jesus, he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God and that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why he came. Eternal, everlasting life. Does it mean that once we're saved, we're sinlessly perfect? Perfect? <laughs> Obviously, look at the pastor of this church. No, it doesn't mean that. But it means I'm his child. I have been, I've had a special act of creation performed upon me. Therefore, if any man in Christ, behold, he's a new creature. Everything has passed away. All things become new. We are something new. So we've been preserved. We've been called, sanctified. What's he doing now? Therefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. The book of Revelation tells us Satan is constantly accusing us before the Father, but Jesus is constantly interceding. I died for him. He received my forgiveness of sin. Go on your way. The blood covers it all. Calvary covered it all. McGee says two ways of preserving are by vinegar and by sugar. There are saints today who seem to be preserved in both elements. However, the perseverance of the saints is by his grace, which preserves or keeps them. By the way, perseverance is, saved, is not that we're going to be saved by persevering. If we are saved, we will persevere and we will hold true to God. That's, that's the perseverance of the saints. There's a, that's, a, that's a significant difference in the theological realm. Perseverance of the saints. Tulip, T-U-L-I-P. We, if we are truly with Christ, we will persevere. Through it. There are many who will go back. John 666. Many stopped following him because of his words and left. What does, the, what does it say? I'm just right here, almost 666. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, uh, you that no man can come unto me except he were given to him by the Father. And from that, or from that time, many of his disciples went back. And walk no more with him. Interesting how that comes up on 666, isn't it? That John 666. Who we are. What do we have? Well, we have three things here. First of all, these gifts back over to Jude, not Titus, but Jude, verse number one and two now. Up to verse number two, Jude two. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Desperately needed in the atmosphere of spiritual confusion and false teaching. First of all, there's mercy. Someone has said that it's God's favor to those who have forfeited it and who therefore stand under a sentence of condemnation. Aren't you glad the mercy of Christ shed abroad by the love of Christ? You don't hear condemned people praying for grace. Lord, mercy, please grant mercy and leniency and, and wrath. Remember mercy. Habakkuk. And I would pray that for America, Lord, in wrath, 
remember mercy? And I would say he's already remembered mercy because we're still here and America hasn't been completely decimated and and ground very fine into the culture or to history, civilization history. We know there's only uh, only hope is to cast ourselves upon the mercy of, of Jesus, the judge, God Almighty. Not only is there, what do we have? We have mercy, we have peace. Much talked about, but little realized. Furthermore, the internal peace is even less experienced than national peace or peace between neighbors. You have but to look at the world, and I tell you, peace in the world will never, ever come until the Prince of Peace rules in the Millennial Kingdom. It's you can pray. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin. And that's a nice song, has a catchy tune. But let the Prince of Peace come and rule with a. And what's what's he? A rod of iron. Oh, but Pastor, we are such good people inside, internally. I think if we just had the chance that, you know, we could govern ourselves in a very peaceful manner. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. People who were perfect. No sin. Couldn't abide the no sin. Anarchy. That's what naturally comes to people who do not... Example A. The flood. People who left God, went their own way, did their own thing, got so bad that God had to wipe out the world except for eight people. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about it again next Sunday, the next, the next no, just one next Sunday for sure. Peace. But we'll be praying for Israel. As I mentioned this morning, they are battling on uh, three fronts. You should see, I was downloaded just last night looking at the different, six different maps of those where the attacks have come. It's interesting. It's amazing. You've got this little dot of Israel, and, and, and Yemen is sending rockets all the way across Iraq into, or Saudi Arabia at Israel. And then you've got Hezbollah up here in Lebanon, and then you've got Hamas. And, and this, this, this area is like the size of New Jersey or less. And all the world's attention, it seems, is on that area of the world. Why? Because Satan hates God, and Satan hates God's people. It's ever going to be so. Matter of fact, it's only going to ramp up all the way through the tribulation period until he comes back. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for in Titus 2.13, is it not? It is. So we have mercy, we have peace, and we have love. Again, for this evening's thinking, it is with that without which no one can live in a healthy manner, absolutely essential to be loved. And if people do not get love in healthy ways, they inevitably seek it in unhealthy ways, as you well know. We are showered with love by God. I hope you're not equivocating when it comes to worshiping God. He deserves our worship. And we, he deserves us to bow before him. But that means that he is, yes... He is greater than you. And yes, he is loving. He's not some tyrannical God like Allah. Where did, and this idea that Allah and Jehovah are the same, can you not see? I know you can. Allah is angry. And if you don't worship me, we're going to cut your head off. And that's what his book says. Jesus said, 
Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. There is no connection between Allah and Jesus, Jehovah God. There is none. So please don't come to us. Well, there's three main monotheistic religions. Judaism and Islam and Christianity. No, there's one. There's one. Christianity alone. Mormonism says another testament of Jesus Christ. If they were truly Christian, they would be reading the Bible and following what the Bible says. If you don't do that, you're not truly Christian. You can't say that Joseph Smith was an apostate. He never was a straight straight. How can you be apostate? Now, apostates are one who claim the truth and often even maybe espouse true doctrine and then they fall away from that. Joseph Smith was a cultic leader, 40-some wives, and yet they have one of the most beautiful choir-singing people in all the world. It, does it not break your heart that you see these well-dressed, clean-cut, probably very moral individuals singing about our Savior, but it, that's our Savior, and he's really not yours. And I wish he was yours. You, you see what I'm saying? The, the people sing, they borrow, they borrow the true songs, but they're not really your songs. When you see these people sing Amazing Grace, that have no inkling of what truly amazing grace is. Now, they may sound, they make a lot of money, my brother, but I'd much rather hear someone who can just sing halfway and knows the God of the amazing rather than someone who can tickle my ears. Now, I like to have my ears tickled. I, if I want my ears tickled, I go listen to Jonas Kaufman sing Nessun Dorma. Now, that is just, it just like gives me, I still listen to it. How many times do I listen to it? It's like an ear-melting voice. It's just like amazing. What we have. Well, what are we supposed to do? I am watching the time, and I know it went over this morning, so I'm cutting off at 7, even though I won't be done, I'm sure. What are we supposed to do? Well, Jude has a very specific purpose for writing. Verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that was his purpose. I want to do that. Did you know that in the book of Corinthians, how long it took Paul to get to the topics he wanted to discuss to answer their questions? How long it took? It took the chapter 8 for him to start answering their questions. He spent the first seven chapters writing about things that needed to be corrected. Finally, he got to what they wanted to know about in chapter 8. We'll go back to our verse. Uh, rabbit trails everywhere tonight. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Big fancy word is soteriology. Do you know what soteriology is? The study the doctrine of salvation. That's all it is. Soteriology, salvation. Angelology, we can figure that one out. Theology, study of God, angels. Pneumatology, the study of the spirit. Eschatology, the study of future things, etc. There's all those big words. So if he was writing this book about salvation, I would have loved to have seen it. Can you imagine putting that book along with 
Paul's theological masterpiece on salvation, the book of Romans. Can you imagine Jude if he wrote a book on salvation? And put those two together, how much more we would find out about our salvation, which, by the way, we're going to find out for eternity, what God has in mind. I was reading the book we've been reading about heaven, just started as, by the way, I don't often, I do it sometimes. If you want to read a singular book on heaven, you must get Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It is by far the definitive book I've ever found on the subject of heaven. So just, I'll just, leave, just leave it at that. But we were reading about that and talked about how, how this we a pastor was saying a pastor was saying i just don't know if i want to go to heaven because it seems like such a boring place i I just don't i think i would rather and when i think even i just think i just think i'd rather not go i'm telling you we've not taught the church about the wonders of how beautiful heaven must be pastor wayne i'm looking forward the renewing that conversation with Pastor Wayne. My mom and dad, my dad and Pastor Wayne may be talking about things right now up in heaven. They were good friends here on earth. And maybe and other people, maybe my father, maybe the three of them were up there hobnobbing together. Mr. Wampler and my dad. I don't know what's going on up there. But I know this. It's not going to be the doldrums that people think it is. Don't you think that Satan is, woohoo, don't talk about heaven. Don't get people excited about going to heaven because if they do, they might tell people about Jesus. So let's just tell the pastors, this is not, you can talk about a lot of things. You can talk about terrible things. You might even talk about hell if you don't know it too often, but don't talk about heaven because people might want starting to go there. Let's just talk about the clouds. Drumming, strumming a harp. By the way, I can listen to one harp song will do me for a month. Uh, strumming a harp. And, and, and let's talk about those. And people, I don't think I want to go. When a pastor says, I don't think I want to go, he's missed it. He's missed it. If I told Larry Burns, I said, Mr. Burns, I don't think restoring cars does any good. He goes, well, Pastor Tim, you just come over and let me show you the excitement. Marvin and I will get together, and we'll show you the excitement about putting cars back together and the enjoyment of running that up and down the road. And everybody going, what a car, what a car. See, if you'll just, if you'll just give me a few moments, and I'm telling you, the people of the world don't give him the time of day. And Jesus wants to be your closest friend. And we're going to a place that he's had 2,000 years to work on. If he chose to, I don't think he would have to even spend a moment. Just right. But he's been going. And oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. Jude says, that's the faith we are to contend for, whether it's putting your boots on three times, even with the mitten stubbed in the, in the toes. I bet that lady preacher was about ready to pull her hair out. I know I would have been. Obviously, I was there several times. Can you not see that? I pulled my hair. <laughs> I was right there. Let us pray before I go any further over. We're a minute past. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of preaching. Such a responsibility it is. But the joy of sharing the good news with others and folks who want to listen and to grow, which I think we do. It's why we're here. So, Lord, mold us. Make us more like yourself. 
may we not sit on the log and just hear the news, but may we get into the pool and share what we have learned and you've taught us and what you've done in our lives with others. Lord, just work in our hearts this week, please. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.